You're listening to Mountainside Podcast. Hey, uh, it's great to see you all. Um, when I was a kid, my hero, like a lot of Canadian boys, my hero was Wayne Gretzky. And because he was my hero, I just read about him and studied him and watched him, and I acquired a lot of information about Gretzky. I uh, learned that his family was originally from Belarus, and one of his you know, great-grandparents immigrated over, which was good for Canada. Otherwise, he would have played for the Russians, and that would have been a tragedy of all tragedies. Um, Gretzky, when he was six years old, he was good enough to play with 10-year-olds, which was a lot like me when I was in hockey. When I was 10, I was good enough to play with six-year-olds. Um, when he was in peewees in 10, at 10 years old, in 85 games, he scored 516 points. And now you hockey parents, I know you're shocked. You're, you're thinking, they had to play 85 games in peewees? We had to go to 85 games as parents? That's what they did back then. He played his junior in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, that's where he first wore number 99. On his second year in the NHL, he broke the league scoring record with 164 points. He followed that the next year with 212 points. When scoring 100 points made you a superstar, an all-star, he scored 212. And of course, he got the nickname, the great one, that year. Uh, I had a nickname in hockey. It was Stick Boy. And I was a player. I think it was because I was about as why. Anyway, it doesn't really matter why, but it stuck. Just like his stuck, mine stuck too, unfortunately. I watched him score his 50th goal in 39 games, shattering an all-time record that will probably never be broken. I watched him play live. I got an autograph. I even got to shake his hand once. I knew all about Wayne Gretzky. And so when you know a lot about somebody, you can kind of feel like, you know, like there's, there's some proximity between you and them. And so imagine I go down to LA and I show up at his house and I ring the doorbell and when he answers the door I walk into his sprawling foyer and I'd be like, hey Wayne, it's Sean, I'm here for dinner. I can imagine what's going to happen. I imagine that his security will probably pounce on me and I'll be forcefully tossed off of his property because even though I know about him, I don't know him. I know about him from a distance. I, I know stats on the back of a hockey card. I, I know him as a fan. I don't know him as a friend. And there's a huge difference between those two. We're in this four-week series that we're called, What Am I Here For? Where we are looking at some of the, the critical things that God wants for your life. And when I say that, these are like, take it to the bank Things that you can put your confidence in with ironclad certainty that God wants this for you. It doesn't matter where you've been or where you're from. It doesn't matter how much or how little time you put in church. This is God's will for your life. Regardless of what season you're in, it doesn't matter whether you're retired or you're just starting your career. You've got a house full of kids or maybe you're one of those kids that's going to be moving out of your parents' house in the next couple of years. You can be certain that this is what God wants for your life. And so it's really critical that you understand it because, because your overall life satisfaction or dissatisfaction, your overall sense of purpose or lack thereof, your spiritual vitality or lethargy depends on, is directly tied to the degree to which you embrace and live into these foundational desires that God has for your life. So I can tell you with certainty why you are here. 
And you are here to know God. It is God's will for you that you would know him fully. You've been created that you might know God, and therefore you will never achieve your God-given potential or goals until you do so. You have been intricately designed by our creator with this, this inbuilt need and capacity to know him. It's like the spiritual programming operating system of your humanity where your full capacity and potential in life is only unlocked when you are relationally connected to God, which means you will wander restlessly through life unless you know him. Doesn't matter the incredible pile of wins you accumulate in your professional career. It doesn't matter whether you, you uh, amass a fortune that would make many people envious of you. It doesn't matter whether you invest your life in the cause of justice and mercy. It doesn't even matter um, if you are deeply admired and your praises are sung by your kids and your colleagues alike. All of those things, the sum total of all those things, will still leave you incomplete and dissatisfied because you were meant to know God. And nothing under the sun will substitute for that. St. Augustine, many centuries ago, reflecting on what he learned about his own heart, which mirrors yours and mine, said this, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. At the core of the Christian faith is this belief that the God of the universe has bent over backwards to provide a way for you to know him. Through Jesus. In Jesus, God has bridged that relational gap between you and himself by accommodating himself to us, to our world, to our oxygen, to our terra firma. God has pursued us right into the skin of our humanity. And he continues to pursue you because he has this extraordinary love for you. In John 17... We have this amazing prayer by Jesus. He prays this right after he, has, he uh, ate the, the last Passover meal with his followers. And in a few hours, he's going to be arrested. And, and everything is going to start moving really, really fast after that. And so Jesus has a moment, and he's laser-focused in his mind. It's like every part of him is attuned to what's about to happen and, and, and what is at stake. And he begins to pray, and he begins to pour out his heart. And he prays for himself, and he prays for us. And Jesus says this, Father, the hour has come. This, this is what it's all about, is this hour that's right upon me. This is why I'm here. This is why we did all this. The hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. You gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to all that you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus just says that, that everything that he's about to endure, everything that he's about, the sum total of his life is about this one thing, that they may know God. And the they, in Jesus' words, is you and I. 
And the no, the word that Jesus uses and grabs as he's trying to articulate his heart, it's not the, the word you'd use to describe what you'd know on the back of Wayne Gretzky's hockey card. It's a type of word you use to describe how a husband and wife know each other, how good friends know each other. It's this experiential, relational knowledge. Why does Jesus pray that? Well, because God is a person. And in the depth of his mighty nature, he thinks and he feels, he enjoys, he wills, he loves, he desires, he suffers, just as any person can. And he wants us to know him in those familiar dynamics of personality. You see, as a person, we can sometimes forget that our knowledge, our experience of God can be cultivated the same as with any other personality. And so we grow in knowing God. We increase our knowledge of God. We grow by degrees in knowing God. In our experience of God, as he draws close to us and as we respond to him through the two-way avenues of our minds, our hearts, and our wills, you were made to know God. And nothing under the sun will substitute for that. Now, that sounds great. It's the kind of stuff you'd expect to hear in church. But where I want to kind of go with the rest of our time here is that I say that there is no substitute, but I have found a bunch of sneaky substitutes that lurk in places like this, that get crafted actually in churches like ours. Substitutes that, that, that swap out knowing God with something far less and something rather puny and pathetic in comparison. For example, when I came to faith in Jesus, my whole world was turned upside down in like a day. When I woke up that morning, I had no idea what was going to happen that March 3rd. Um, I had this encounter with the living God in such unexpected and profound ways. I didn't have language to articulate it. I didn't even, my head wasn't quite sure what was going on. But I just knew that I knew that I had just met with God. And my heart was flooded in an instant with faith and with love. And I had this sense of his nearness. And I was in this, started this season of this kind of continual responsiveness between me and God. And it was like just a closeness between the two of us. Now, it took my mind quite a while to catch up to understand what my heart had been experiencing. Now, I was in university. I like to study. I like history. I like ideas. And so I began to throw myself into trying to understand this Christian faith that I kind of just got, you know, ambushed by and so I studied and I read and I threw myself into the intellectual pursuit of, of knowing more about God and in so doing I, I, I deepened some parts of my faith and I deepened my Christian worldview and there was a lot of good stuff that came with that but in time my intellectual pursuit became a spiritual liability I began to substitute Knowing Jesus with knowing about Jesus. I began to reflexively act like growing in my relationship with God meant learning more and more about the Christian faith. And so I 
became increasingly immersed in concepts and I cram more stuff into here and I pump more verses into my mind and into my life and into my hours of reading. But all the while there was this weird drift that was happening between me and Jesus. And I thought, well, maybe that's just the way things are. You know, a pastor's like, well, there's a honeymoon period at first, and then kind of things kind of settle down. I was like, but this settling down isn't nearly as good as what that was like when I hardly knew anything. But I had a sense of God's closeness. And, and herein lies a, a critical aspect which you have to understand about the Christian faith. There is the Christian faith in which we have believed. E.D. That is the content of the life of Jesus, the, the, the content of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the content of the gospel in which we have believed in. And it's absolutely essential. Without faith in that, th there is no relationship with you and God. But faith is not just a sum total of some content that you have believed in. There is a faith that also believes. And this is the act of, of obedience to Jesus. This is the act of trusting in Him. This is the act of walking with Him, getting to know God. And I started to lose that. And Jesus inadvertently began to shrink down to the hero, you know, the spiritual hero on the hockey card, where, where I, I knew all the highlights, the career highlights on the back of the hockey card of Jesus. You know, I knew when He was drafted into ministry. I knew all the records that he held, you know, fed the most people with the least amount of bread and furthest walking on water of anybody. And he defeated sin, Satan, and death. And I knew all these facts about Jesus. But all the while, I was knowing him less and less. And then to further complicate it, it was like during this time, I got more involved in church. I was serving. And, and church is a great thing. And serving Jesus is a really, really good thing. But church, just like scripture, just like serving, is not the end goal. And I started to suffer from what I call the airport syndrome. Let me explain what I mean. Um, in my spiritual journey, I became like one of those airport employees that, that announced all these exotic destinations over the intercom without ever really going to any of them. They never ever step out of the airport. You see, we can begin to make the mistake of thinking that the airport is the same as the destination. You can start to fool yourself spiritually into thinking that because you've been at a, you know, a layover in Paris, you've actually visited Paris and you know what Paris is like. But here's the deal. Nobody goes to the airport to just hang out at the airport. We go to the airport because it takes us somewhere. I was there last week. I had to spend hours in Vancouver Airport because of snow and flight cancellations. And let me tell you, I was not hanging out there because of the restaurants and the ambiance. That is not why I was there. I was there because I trusted it was going to take me somewhere better than the airport. Just as there's a world of difference between having a layover in Paris and eating great meal in a cafe overlooking the Champs-Élysées, there is a world of difference between knowing church, knowing religion, even knowing the Bible, and knowing Jesus. See, all those things are, are meant to be a means that take you somewhere better, and the better is Jesus. And I share this because I fear that some of us 
have the airport syndrome. It's a trap that we can fall into where we have this quasi-experience about Jesus and we know some stuff about him and some principles about him and we follow some principles in our life, but we don't really know him. We're not really experiencing him. Maybe you can identify. I know this is a hazard because it wasn't just a hazard in my own life. It was a hazard that's as old as Jesus. Jesus is speaking to some dudes who are off the charts in their religious devotion. I mean, they check all the boxes of the religious duties. They poured their lives into service and into study and into knowing scriptures. They're called the Pharisee. And Jesus says this to them. He says, you diligently study the scripture because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Now let's just pause right there. What did Jesus say is eternal life? This is eternal life, that they may know God. Eternal life isn't just some destination somewhere after you die. It's not, it's not a quantity of life that adds years to your little earthly years. Eternal life is God's own life. It's a quality of God's own life that breaks into your story and starts to shape and define your story now and into eternity. It's impossible to separate eternal life without knowing God. And Jesus says, you, you think you're going to find the life that God wants from you but just from like knowing this. But this is just the airport. It's not the destination. Look, yet these scriptures testify to me. They're not an end in themselves. They point to me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is saying that knowing the scriptures is no substitute for knowing him. And I remind myself of that sometimes when we're at staff meeting and we're like planning, you know, new events and new programs and we're filling up the church calendar. I remind myself that Jesus never said, I have come that they might have Bible study in church abundantly. <laughs> That's not what he promised. He promised us life. Those things are a mere means to a better end, life. If they become a means in themselves, if they terminate on themselves, they become a terrible substitute, a dangerous substitute. A designated devotion time, a packed church calendar can be good, but they're not necessarily the same as a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And I know this because I had them in full measure, and I was experiencing all the while this chronic withering of my soul. And I wasn't hearing God's voice much. It was like his voice was always speaking from 2,000 years ago, and I didn't sense the immediacy of God. I was serving him and doing all kinds of this stuff, but I wasn't really expecting, experiencing much power in my service. I was hearing lots about his word, but I wasn't actually shaping my life in obedience around his word. It was just like, yeah, I know more stuff. And then I would live in my same way. Yeah, I hear more stuff. I was getting more and more church, but in hindsight, I was experiencing less and less Jesus. And the truth is, I started to get really bored spiritually. I started to get really meh about this whole Jesus thing. I started to think that, that maybe somehow, you know, that, that the Christian life doesn't really live 
up to the sales pitch that Jesus delivered because it was a big difference between what I was experiencing and what I thought I would experience. And then I would remember, ah, but there was a time. There was a time when I knew Jesus like that. And then in my study, in my reading, I would occasionally stumble on to something that would, would, would stir up this discontent in me in a good way. It, would, it, it made me feel like I was missing out on something. I'd, I'd read the Psalms of David like we were reading together, and David would say this. He'd say, as the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you. I don't even know what it looks like when a soul pants. But it's not a cute coffee cup picture. It looks like a deer that's dying for water. This is not like, oh, look at the little buck by the stream. Click. No, this is like agony. My soul thirsts for the living God. And I realize that there are people in the history of following God that have had such a profound experience with him, that have known him so well, whose souls in the past have been so nourished by God that his absence or his distance or his silence feels like death to them. Even for a little while. David would say, man, you're, my soul's response to you is like a deer that can't even go two days without water. It's just dying of thirst. And I was like, man, do I hunger and thirst for God like that? Do you hunger and thirst for God like that? See, if I was writing a psalm, which right away, you know, it's going to go bad as soon as any statement starts like that. If Sean was going to write scripture, you know it's going to be bad. But this is what I would write. If my heart was honest, it'd be like, I long for you, Jesus, like a haircut. Like every six weeks, a little visit, a little touch up, and then I'm good to go. Not like this. Look at the next verse. My soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. And then if that didn't get me all stirred up enough and you know, cause this holy discontentment in me, then I'd read Paul, who would say this. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And the loss that he's referring to is all the spiritual stuff that he poured himself into, all these good things that he was doing that he would hope would bring God in close to him, that would bring an experience of God in close. And he says, all that stuff, all that spiritual stuff I was doing, it's a loss compared to what I now know and have experienced. I consider it a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. I consider them rubbish. The word is actually excrement. I consider them excrement that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ. It's like Paul's experience of, of walking with Jesus has made everything else seem utterly secondary in comparison. And he's just one of those many, many, many people throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of my own life, who I've got to know and meet, who have walked with God with such a deep passion that they regularly encountered him in such a way that it marked and it defined their day in and day out, ordinary, mundane life. And I kind of want that. I want it because Paul's life demonstrated both this incredible power 
and this clarity of purpose that came with him knowing Jesus. And it was like he was able to just kind of soar above all his circumstances. He was just utterly free. And so Paul, the rest of the Philippians, if I was to like translate it into our language, Paul says this. Paul says, I've learned it doesn't matter. I know what it's like to have a full bank account and have like nothing in my pockets. I know what it's like to have the freezer stocked with full, and I know what it's like not to knowing where my next meal is going to come from. I know what it's like to have everything go my way and have everything turn to crap, and it doesn't matter because I know him like this. It, it, it's like I have everything. It's like I, I have everything. I can tell you, I got an office full of books about Jesus. But I don't have that. I know highlights about Jesus like the stuff of the back of a hockey card, but I don't know him like that, and I want to. And I'm wondering if you do too. Because I know that God wants you to. That's what I know. So what do we do? How do we know God more? What, what, how do we respond to this? Well, I mean, there are some things that are obvious that are in your control that you can do. Like, you can, you can stop coddling and justifying and excusing your sin. And you can start to actually repent of it and live, start walking away from it. Because sin that's unrepented and becomes a wedge between you and God. I mean, you can do that. You can lean into the Jesus practices. You can lean into scripture. You can lean into fashion. You can lean into prayer, not as an end in themselves, but as a means to bring you closer to Jesus. You can make sure that you refuse to be content with just hearing and knowing God's word, but you're going to be committed to actually doing it and obeying Jesus. All those things are great. But here's what I know, and here's where I'm at. Is that in this relationship between me and God, there's one of us who is really, really flawed and imperfect. <laughs> and there's one person in this relationship that needs to carry more of the weight, that needs to, in mercy, push in and come close, that needs to be bigger than my spiritual ADD. I'm like, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Jesus, I'm fixing my squirrel. That's what I am like all the time. Right? So there needs to be one person who's bigger than this, who's bigger than my heart, who's bigger than this, my sincerity and bigger than my screw-ups. I had to, in tears this morning, confess a sin to Matt that was just like heavy on my heart. Because I, I knew it would be an, an impediment to me and Jesus, but an impediment to you hearing his word. There's stuff that we can do, but I just know that I am just like in this relationship. I'm like a beggar who's coming out, and I'm opening up, opening up my hands, and I'm asking for bread. And, and maybe the next step for you is to admit that you're the same way and humbly start to ask God for more of himself. Ask God to meet you. Ask God to press in close to you. Jesus promised that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And they're not blessed just because they hunger. They're blessed because they will be what? Filled. 
Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Ask your Heavenly Father for your daily bread. And then Jesus reminds us that I'm actually the bread of life. I'm actually your daily bread so you can ask for more of me. God wants you to ask for more of himself. And so maybe today, maybe this morning, maybe for the first time ever, you might ask the Spirit of God to come and refresh your relationship with Jesus, would stir up in you new, fresh hunger for Him, that the Spirit would press in to you with an experience of His nearness. Because when He does that, when the Spirit presses in in love, there's all this beautiful stuff that presses out of us. Sometimes it's repentance. Sometimes it's praise. Sometimes it's humility. Sometimes it's faith. Now Paul, who experiences, he knows Jesus like this. When he starts praying for people like you and me, you know what he asked for? He asked that we would have what he has experienced. He says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Just re remember, the strengthening, the inner eternal work that you are doing, it is, it is the domain of the spirit. You are dependent on the spirit to do this work, and I am too. I pray that the spirit would strengthen you with power in your inner being so that, and what is the result? That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. It's like a new experience of Christ, a new intimacy with Christ, a new closeness and freshness with Christ. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. And to know this love... There's the same word there. To experience this love. The relational. It's not like I know this love as an attribute or a doctrine or a category of God. Or an ideal to experience this love. That even surpasses your mental understanding. That you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. Man, I see what Paul holds out and prays for, and I see what I've kind of like been content with. No more, man. Paul asks that the Spirit would strengthen us. And when the Spirit does, and when Christ begins to inhabit our hearts, you know what the response is? You know what the experiential response is, what Paul prays for? It is love. That's what, that's what we experience when Jesus presses in. Sometimes it's a love that makes us, it refines us, it purifies us, and it, it, it overwhelms us. But it brings us to, a, it's, it's, it's love. God in his essence and love, when the spirit presses God in close, we experience love. Spurgeon, the great preacher from another age, said this, that it's a love that is so deep that your old age can't wear it out. It's so long that your tribulations cannot exhaust it. Your successive temptations cannot drain it dry. Like eternity itself, it knows no bounds. Paul says, I want you to have a fresh grasp on the dimension of God's love 
for you. It's like, it's like you are a static person and every direction around you is just God's love. And he says, I want you to, I want you to explore it and play in it and to see how big his love is for you. I want you to know that. Because that is the manifest presence of the love of God. And it's bigger than knowledge. It's bigger than intellectual or academic categories. It surpasses knowledge because it is the relational presence of the Spirit of God in you. And Paul prays that we would know this and experience this. And maybe that's what we need to do today. Maybe you just need to ask. Maybe you just need to say, I, I am not content with just the airport anywhere. Drive up to the airport, walk around the airport. Oh, next flight you go into Hawaii. That must be great in Hawaii. And then you leave the airport. Maybe it's you relationally board the plane this morning. Maybe if you've just been coming to the airport, maybe today you come and for the first time in a long time at the arrivals gate, you see Jesus standing there smiling at you, arms open. Maybe you go to him this morning. Now look, if you're new visiting Mountainside, if you're a Mountainside regular, you, you know my heart and you know what we're about. We're, we're, we're not after some type of spiritual manufactured experience. That's not what we want. We want Jesus. We're not slamming orthodoxy or serving in church or reading the scriptures. We're not far from it. We're saying don't settle for a lifeless dead orthodoxy that just ends in itself rather than brings you to Jesus. And so might we ask for that this morning? Might we, might we be like he says, together with the Lord's people, experiencing how high and deep and wide is God's love. If you have spent a lot of time knowing about Jesus, but you don't know him or you haven't experienced him in a long time, if you are bored and lethargic in your faith, if, you're, if your spirituality is a lot of meh and routine and habit, then this is for you. Might you this morning cry out and ask for Jesus to renew your vision, to refresh your passion, to visit you with his spirit in a way that immerses you in the immensity of his love. Church, like I want this. I want this more for you than anything. I want this for my biological family. I want this for our spiritual family. That we would be filled to the fullness of God. That we would know God. That we would experience this eternal quality of life that comes with knowing Him. That our lives would be marked and shaped and defined by His love. Man, I want that. And maybe you do too. And everything in here tells me that God does also. Let me pray. The worship team is going to come up. And, and while we're singing, man, if you know what Paul would do? Paul would show up at church and he'd preach the love of God. And then he'd say, hey, how does this sound? Do you want it? Come up here. We're going to lay hands on you and ask for the Spirit's filling to come on you. And so we're going to invite you to do that. If, if God, maybe it's for the first time you're responding to God. Maybe it's the first time in a long time. Maybe... Maybe Jesus has grabbed a hold of your imagination. You feel like, oh my gosh, the pastor has been reading my emails. How does he know this is my inner dialogue that's going on? I don't. 
It's so the condition of so many of us. You don't have to be a genius to figure it out. And so while the worship team plays, I'm going to stand up here and some of our elders are here and some of our prayer team are here. Would you just, like a beggar hungry for bread, would you just come up? And we'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you. Let me pray. It staggers my mind and my imagination that we can know you, God. And even more shocking is that you want to know us. Thank you that in the immensity of your personhood, there is this burning love and passion for each one of us. Oh, man, you just... You see us and just like, oh man, I want them to know me. I want them to know me in their parenting and in their job. I want them to know me in their doubts and in their pain. I want them to know me in their infirmities and in their hopes. I just want them to know me. Because it's in knowing you that this eternal quality of life begins to shape and define our lives. And God, we want your life. You want to give it to us abundantly. And so I ask that maybe this day might be one of those crossroad days where you just surprise us like you did to me on March 3rd. Just surprise us and flood us with faith and flood us with love as your spirit fills us afresh. We ask in the name of Jesus for our daily bread. You. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message at Mountainside Community Church. If you would like to get connected to one of our campuses or just learn more about who we are as a church, then we encourage you to visit our website, mountainsidechurch.ca. God bless.